Thank you for joining us today at Miniature Wargaming Labs. My name is James, and today I'm joined by special guest Duncan Rhodes of the Rhodes Painting Academy. How are you doing today, Duncan? Hello, I'm doing very well. Thank you, doing very well. It's a beautiful day outside, and we're recording it on uh, the Queen's, uh, Queen's Jubilee date. For, I forgot when I scheduled this, yeah. I didn't realize you guys had a four-day banker's holiday. <laughs> yeah, there. we do. God save the queen. <laughs> <laughs> what is it, platinum now? What are you... I believe so, yeah. 70 years on the throne. It's extraordinary. Are you going to gather in the streets and wave your flags as she um, well, dominates? There is a lot of flags around, which okay. I really like seeing it. It's really nice. Um, and uh, there's, there's a park very close to where we live, and they're doing this... Um, beacon thing all over the country and this park is where one of these beacons are being lit you know uh gondor rohan style so we're gonna go up there <laughs> to go and see that it's gonna be really you're nice. gonna gather you answer absolutely the call and... <laughs> absolutely I'm gonna take a flask of tea english uh, breakfast tea obviously uh maybe some scones <laughs> so quick quick aside first since most of the audience here is american do you guys actually drink coffee i i watch oh, yeah i watch bbc and i always can't understand when you guys know to trade off between coffee and tea <laughs> well my parents have the rule that you have coffee in the morning and tea in the afternoon um for me, that. <laughs> yeah for me i'm only recently been converted to a coffee drinker and that's because of going to america to shows like adepticon and stuff where um it's only coffee often black coffee and uh, you ask for a cup of tea and you get presented with some herbal tea or something like that and you're like no no <laughs> oh, I, I think it's the thing is if you're drinking tea something must be wrong like, oh, yeah. <laughs> just to calm you down no, it's just it's really common around here so yeah i drink a lot so does the uh, so does my fiance and um yeah we i, I started it you know i started enjoying it when i was over there because i had no choice but to drink coffee so these days i have a lot more than i used to well duncan i i brought you on um because speaking of your time in america i've taken two actually several of your classes at the mm. Nova open 2017 and 2019 Mm. And um, so the topic of today is want to talk about how someone teaches classes um, mm. on how to paint. Um, so this channel, um, as we've said before, is organized around people who play three or more games. And the idea of that is that painting is a barrier um, to a lot of people when they think about getting into gaming. I think they actually see it as something that's harder than what it really is. But when you look at spending your hundred dollars and you can buy um, your models from Games Workshop or Warlord Games, or you can buy a PlayStation game. Well, when you buy a PlayStation game, you're done. But when mm -hmm. you buy your models, well, unless they're the D&D prepaint from Onslaught that will be coming out soon. We'll, we'll say that <laughs> heresy for some other time. But uh, Prepainted? <laughs> well, <laughs> am I a farmer? Or am I... <laughs> I? I'll paint my own minis, thank you. But... One of the things I've done is I'm um, trying to convert people over. Um, I've started targeting the D&D crowd because they're seeming the most willing to accept uh, getting into miniature wargaming. Um, but you got to sell them on painting. And you can always start by like, well, you need it for your game anyway. Let's paint some D&D miniatures. Um, well, once you do that, say, you know, we can actually get a bunch of these and we can play different games. But um, before we get started on that topic, why don't you give us a little bit of your uh, bona fides, your background here? How did you get into the uh, miniature wargaming? Oh, it's quite a long story. <laughs> I, um, I mean, I got into it by chance. Like, I, I threw, same way as a lot of people, I guess. I just sort of encountered it one day. I used to really be into um, making model airplanes and things. Um, so that's what, what my parents you know, they got for me years ago for Christmas. They got me some 
um, these planes and I, I just I really liked making stuff I've always been creative you know I've always been into Lego and drawing and just, just making things and so this fit into that and um, I remember encountering Warhammer 40,000 in a model shop I just happened to go in with my dad one day just because we were just looking to kill some time and they had a little rack of Games Workshop promotional stuff and there was a little booklet with it and everything and it's one of those ones where it shows you briefly how to play with you know five space marines versus 10 orcs or whatever and um i thought space marines were the coolest thing ever because at that point i'd just been getting into sci-fi via star wars and i was like a space marine looks like a stormtrooper and darth vader in one with a gun that shoots rockets i'm in <laughs> so i just got swept into it that way and um it's always been something I've been doing to some lesser or greater extent. You know, as I'm going through school, you get to the point where you're applying to university, you don't have so much time for it and things. But I got to a point where I needed a summer job and there happened to be a free space at my local games workshop. So I managed to get up to speed on what the rules and things were. I made a good impression um, and I got a job there. And from that point on, I've been entwined in the industry in some way or another. Um, so I worked in games workshop retail for four years. Um, I then had a, uh, in quotation marks, a real job for a year where I was working in this um, office, basically selling gas valve and central heating controllers, things like that. Really boring. But then I got a job in Games Workshop Studio. And um, it just all just, I just keep seeming to be in the right place at the right time. So, you know, um, I had friends who then were working in the studio who told me about the job, which I never would have noticed otherwise. Um, and then when I got the job, I happened to have a free schedule when they started experimenting doing video. Um, and the videos they wanted to make were about teaching painting, which always have been a, a bit of a passion of mine, um, which is certainly like a, a you know, a subthread throughout my story of working in the industry. I've always tried to make painting more accessible. Um, and so I ended up having this natural synergy with the guys running the TV studio. So I fit in well with that. And then the opportunities came along, start going, doing it independently, which led me to where I am now. So like I say, it's mostly been in the right place at the right time, but I've been very grateful for it because it's been allowed me to um, make a living out of my passion. Well, let me ask you, what games do you play? Because so I've listened to some of your other interviews <laughs> and um, uh -huh. you definitely, you know, I always knew you from Games Workshop. But there was a comment once you started your painting academy of you started referring to some of the other models. And I remember when you first showed painting a uh, Warlord Games World mm. War II model, and then you made reference to Napoleonic. It's like, no, this guy just isn't a face man. This is the this guy's the <laughs> real deal. Uh, oh man, I love it. I really do. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, well, at Games Workshop, I obviously played all Warhammer games. So when, you, when you're working there as well, some, especially somebody in my position where my job was to paint stuff and I had this um, presence on social media, um, the company very much wanted me to paint their thing. So you get access to it for a lot of the time for free. Um, you know, if you paint the thing, they'll give you the thing and then everyone wins out of it. You know, whilst the company gets promotion and you get some cool toys. Um, so unsurprisingly, I'd be doing all the Warhammer games to some extent or another. But because it was work, you also have to have something that's not work to keep you keep you going, to keep you. And a lot of people simply don't paint when it comes to their free time. They just do it for work. Um, but I really enjoyed my painting. But I find that if I was doing what I was doing for work at home as well, I'd burn out. So I'd be doing other things, which usually meant other games. So the main thing of what I spent a lot of time painting was Napoleonic stuff, because I've always been into Napoleonic since my dad introduced me to the Sharp TV series when I was a kid. 
Um, so uh, I can remember at those shows, at Adept kind of things, if someone would ask me, what else do I paint? And I'd be like, oh, I've got, currently got a French army of 1815 going off, you know, for the Battle of Waterloo. And they'd be like, really? You know about that? And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I've been, uh, been doing the, the 45th Regiment of the Line and stuff. I've been doing this, 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 been picking this uniform and this flag and, you know, all these things. Um, and there's a lot of other games like that that I've just been interested in because of that reason. Um, and so, yeah, it, I, I found it really funny when I left Workshop and it suddenly came out that I really like this stuff, like um, A Song of Ice and Fire. I'd started playing that war game and I really liked it. And so I said to people, I've got a Lannister army and this army's great. It, 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 yeah, I found it endlessly amusing, the responses to it. So I suppose um, to answer your question, um, the main games I play at the moment are Flames of War, um, which is 50 mil World War II, for those not aware. That's because I've got some friends who really wanted to play it. And over all the lockdown, one of them wanted to play World War II. One of them wanted to play Adeptus Titanicus. So they found a middle ground of doing small-scale World War II. And so we all started meeting up to play that. So I've got an Africa Corps for that, an uh, army for that. And uh, we're thinking about doing some late war, so I'm looking at doing some British Red Berets for that. Um, what else? There's a, oh, yeah, they've got a Viking game that one of their friends has homebrew written. And it's a skirmish game, so I've been painting Vikings for that. Um, I uh, obviously play my Napoleonics. It's mostly Black Powder that I'm used to playing, but I'm looking into playing Lazelle at the moment, and I'm trying to adjust my army for that rule set. Um, I also have, uh, let me think, I've got a War Machine army, but I've not played that for a while. A friend of mine's interested in trying out some Pike and Shot stuff, so I'm trying to get him into Pikeman's Lament, which is a, an Osprey small-scale game, and I'm looking at doing a Polish army for that. I've always wanted to paint Polish winged Azars. <laughs> my, yeah, my fiance's Polish. We went to Poland, saw a museum with this stuff in. Blew my mind. I want cavalrymen with massive wings on their backs. <laughs> yeah, the first the first time I saw that, and it's like, that's real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's hard. I thought they were a Warhammer thing. I thought the, yeah. the kids led wing lancers. That's all they were. And then it's like, no, the Poles actually did this. And then um, in this museum, they had this part about the siege of Vienna. You ever heard about this in 1683? I think it is. So the Ottomans were laying siege to Vienna. And um, Vienna was about to fall. And at the last minute, the army turns up to relieve the siege. And it's led by the Poles. And they do the biggest cavalry charge in history, led by the winged czars with the big wings on the backs and lances and stuff. And it's like, this is like the Riders of Rohan saving Minas Tirith, but in real life and bigger. Like, <laughs> blew my mind. I had no idea this was a real thing. So anyway, ever since then, I want to do that. So yeah, this and many more things. Obviously, Horus Heresy is quite a big thing at time of recording. So I'm starting to jazz up my sons of Horus for that. Um, I really like Necromunder Ash Wastes, so I want to do some Nomads for that. Um, I've got my Nomads next to me. Oh, very nice. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I really like them. They've got so much character, and I love the giant fleas with stuff, you know, just all baggage and things. So, yeah, I've got my Nomads. We did a video on one this week, actually, one of those guys on the... the, I can't think what they're called, the, the giant fleas they ride around on. Oh, the helamite dust. Helamite, dust. that's it. Dustback helamites. Dustback helamites, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but that's really captured my imagination, these um, these ash wastes and all the trucks driving through and all these nomads preying on them and stuff. So, um, yeah, lots of games, man. I'm trying <laughs> to be good and stick to just two at a time, but it's difficult. <laughs> uh, yes, I've my my wife has made those comments about it so <laughs> i think she, i think she's actually done like the uh, brady bunch of like drawn a line mm-hmm. in like certain areas of the house and like the miniatures <laughs> cannot spill outside this line <laughs> so uh 
So much like the uh, French draw, like the heavy barricades along the border mm-hmm. there. Say no, not past mm-hmm. this point. It's like okay. this is this is the the limit of it. And you're like okay, yeah. but I could go around it. <laughs> she never goes in the attic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she doesn't know. <laughs> but it's a slippery slope. I don't know, I don't know about you, but I just get totally um, enthralled with the stories of these things. That's what gets me to paint the miniatures. And if there feels like a, there's an atmosphere for it. So, that, I mean, that's what catches me about the Ash Waste Nomads. I can really see them as the culture. And that's the thing that grabs me and wants me to start exploring that. So I know with a, a warband like this, I'd paint my warband. And then inevitably I'd start going, all right. So I wonder what one of their um, equivalent of a truck is like, like a giant beetle with a, a howard on the back or something like that. And then you starts leading you to explore these things i just can't help myself but <laughs> no i understand you know i have to have to admit in the so necromunda i'm what i like to call a completionist where mm-hmm. i buy everything mm-hmm. um from that line but with the ash waste they had had blocks in it yes. they're raised and so i enjoy necromunda when they did like the marketplace or mm-hmm. the buildings mm-hmm. they live in because the idea of like them wandering around tunnels fighting okay mm-hmm. but it's like they live somewhere and mm-hmm. You know, they go and get drinks somewhere. So I actually want to see them in their lives. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, yes. But, totally understand well, what you mean. One of the things I want to ask you about is scale. So we mm. mentioned Napoleonics. And the thing that brought me into Napoleonics was Epic. Mm. And um, so I've been primarily 28, 32 millimeter um, mm. recently for the last 20 years. Um, but 13.5 millimeter, what are your thoughts on painting that versus painting 28? So I, I did uh, a line of sixth in his killing for mm-hmm. Waterloo. And I found like, gosh, these guys are smaller, but I'm putting just as much effort to paint these mm. tiny guys as mm. paint bigger guys. So what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, they're a funny size, aren't they? I noticed that. I've tried painting a few strips of them. I tried the American Civil War too. And I was finding that they were taking me longer than I expected. That, that that's size. why I thought smaller will be faster. Yeah. It was not. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever seen um, the game Travel Battle that the Perrys have made? No, I have not. So, that, so that's no. smaller scale. That's about 10 mil almost, but everything's self-included in this box where you get these um, tiles. I've got hills and towns on them and stuff. It's like its own self-contained game. It's very basic rules, but um, they encourage you to sort of customize it and do your own thing with it. But um, I had already had some experience painting those because I used them as tokens for this board game called Commands and Colors, which is um, which is a great... If anyone's interested in Napoleonics, by the way, I definitely recommend picking up Commands and Colors Napoleonics because that's a really fun game. It's a board game, but I was replacing all the wooden blocks that represent regiments with these little <laughs> figures. So I ended up painting loads of those. And I blasted through painting them because they're all very simple. But they, they're not distinctly British or French or whatever. They're just quite generic Napoleonic-looking guys. You just paint them whatever color. Um, but the epic ones they have because they're a bit bigger they put this extra level of detail like on the french units you've got a mix of great coats and you know regular um heavy vest on them um so it only takes quite a lot of work so i see people producing these large armies of these figures and i'm not entirely sure how they managed to do them that fast so i've not quite cracked it yet <laughs> i do know when it comes to painting smaller scale you've got to go brighter to create a bigger contrast so things pop out more so um what i'd be looking at doing is undercoating white and then probably using contrast paints to carefully stain in the areas, then wash with a, di- a really diluted brown wash, and then just highlight things like the cross belts and the faces. That's the sort of thing I'd look at. But um, yeah, I've not fully put time into figuring it out yet because I've always had something else to do. Because my, my um, Napoleonic collection is all 28 mil. Um, but I do really like the look of it. I think um, I would have dived into that much more 
except I realized that the footprint of one of those lying units is the same footprint as one of my 28 millimeter units, which means that even though it's a smaller scale, it's still the same game as what I already play. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you're not, you're not the first person to point that out. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, well, I mean, at, at some day, at some point we could actually just substitute all these expensive models for like salt shakers if we really yes. wanted to, but <laughs> yes. I, yeah, yeah. I know something captured me about the smaller scale, but I have to admit when I started looking at videos of how to paint like certain regiments and people were always bringing up the 28 millimeter lines and I painted my first 13.5 millimeter. I was like, no, those 28 millimeters look really nice. And it's like, no, mm-hmm. I can't. The 13 are easier to store <laughs> in cabinets. That, that's the oh, one. Certainly. The, the footprint's the same, but the storage is easier. So oh, certainly, certainly. I, I have to hold myself back from that. Um, <laughs> But, you know, that brings up your um, painting academy. So mm. you have the Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy. Um, mm-hmm. Amazing luck that you happen to work for a company that bears your name. I don't know. How I know. What are the odds? I guess they were hiring your name match. So you on board. <laughs> yeah, very lucky. Yeah. yeah. Um, what kind of videos are you um, putting up there? And I have to admit, I did appreciate your varnish video. The one that just came out. Oh, that was I very. Like that. Yeah, that. <laughs> because it's a very expensive process to test. Mm, you don't want to stuff. mess it up. Yeah. And your comment there about picking up a can of primer and hitting an already mm. painted model. Yes, I've done mm. that twice. Mm-hmm. It, it happens. I, I, I genuinely have seen it happen in Games Workshop Studio. And it's horrifying, especially if it's a, like imagine an heavy metal quality miniature that they're painting for a competition and that happens to it. I, oh, it doesn't just doesn't bear thinking about it. It's horrible. Um, but, but yeah, so, but uh, anyway, away from those nightmares. Um, yeah, so uh, Duncan Rhodes Painting Academy is a website that um, is run by myself, and my friend Roger. Now, Roger is a guy who I used to work with at Games Workshop, and he was the fellow that originally set up the TV studio before Warhammer Community came along. And he was always pushing for painting tutorial videos, and he's the guy that I just struck really well with when I joined TV studio to do these sorts of videos. Um, so we've gone into business together to produce content like this because people really like it. And we definitely have seen that people um, have learned a lot and have gained confidence to enjoy their miniatures because of it. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a membership website that's packed full of videos that show you how to paint individual miniatures, but also teaches various techniques. Um, and because we've been doing it together for so long and we're so efficient at working around each other, we've managed to make a lot of videos. So right now, there are over 200 videos on that website of um, the, the, what people would expect of us for a painting video where it shows you a miniature all the way through all the stages explaining things and where key things come along and paint that model. We go in depth and show it in long form to explain exactly what to do. And in cases where mistakes are such a critical thing so say if you're painting imperial fist space marines got a bright yellow and you make a mess upon it what do you do the video will show things like that so we go into as much detail as best we can for everything that we do um so yeah that's what it is about really is about helping people learn to paint give them the confidence to paint and we encourage a community based around it so we have a forum attached to the website where their members talk about the miniatures share them and roger and i get involved with it we run competitions there as well with little painting contests so we just started one with a theme is heresy so we're expecting horror heresy stuff but you know anything that fits heresy will do um so it's, it's all about encouraging just enjoying your hobby and enjoying painting what what standard are you aiming at on these painting tutorials because i think um most people are familiar with like battle ready tabletop Mm. above tabletop 
Is there a standard you're always consistently aiming for? Usually what we go for is what I term high tabletop standard. Um, so it's at the borderline of, if you're going to paint an army, you can paint it like this, but it does, of course, take time. But what we do during the course of the video is give points where it's like, okay, you could stop here if you want to. If you're painting your rank and file, you might just want to go to this point, but then for your squad leaders, we're now going to show you these extra things that you can do. So it's always pitched with that sort of thing in mind. Um, but it's always very clearly explained about, it's not really about being highly skilled to get really good results on something. It always comes down to some core fundamentals. And these are the things that we're reinforcing all the time. And if you understand that, then it's your call exactly how far you take it because you've got the, you know, all the tools and the skills to, and to go and do it if you want to, um, which is a choice whether you do or not. So yeah, so keep it around that way. There are some models where we go further, where we take it up to a higher point, and we are going to be making content where we talk about painting things fast. So um, Roger terms it speed painting. I like to think of it more of army painting. Um, but say, for example, we'll do a video on painting a, um, a space frame from the Horus Heresy. So sake of argument, a son of Horus. But we're thinking of also having a video of how to um, you know, paint a unit of sons of Horus and try and aim it for like roughly the same time phrase to paint the two so that's something we're going to be exploring in the near future because uh, if i think i remember from your time in games workshop i think the standard was trying to produce a squad a week um yeah that, it, that's it the very going um and that's yeah. normally what i try to do um if i'm not working i could probably do like a 10 per, 10 person necromunda mm -hmm. squad in a week mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. so i didn't know if that that was the standard because um when you do your videos, do you do all plastic, resin, metal? Is there a mix in there? Because if you're covering different, like fantasy, moderns, um, I saw your black powder red earth uh, mm. operator. So uh, World mm -hmm. War II, there are a mix of companies yes. and a mix of materials there. Do you cover painting those different materials and the yes. hand sculpt versus the um, ZBrush CAD design models? <laughs> yeah. Um, um we don't really talk much about the different sculpting techniques in it. Um, but I mean, it's probably content for a future video, I suppose, pointing out the differences and how to see them and things. But, um, but yeah, we, we cover all materials. Um, generally what we will pick for a miniature to paint is something where, um, would I be happy to have that in my own collection? Like, is this what I think is really cool? So, um, that's kind of the, the core, you know, approval thing. So if we're doing a world war two thing, for example, it's like, well, I've gone for that one for Warlord Games because I really like it. I think it's really cool. And if you're not sure which brand to go for, you'll probably be happy with this one. Like, that's the general idea of it. And whatever the material is, is whatever the material is. Um, we have got a video talking about resin specifically, and we're going to do one talking about metal miniatures too. Um, but uh, yeah, all the, the, you know, usually the core techniques, what we're showing will work no matter the material. Um, in some cases, some of the things are more important. So, for example, using a varnish for painting a metal miniature because they chip easier. Um, but we'll always talk about that sort of thing if we encounter it. Well, so I've I've found that the difference between, like, say, something like Paul Hicks has sculpted mm -hmm. in metal. Mm -hmm. So I, I love his World War II Marines um, mm -hmm. that he did for Warlord compared to something like GWs are very refined. Like, mm. No matter what people say about their prices, the quality of the miniatures and the sculpts they produce is very high, very mm. precision. Now, when you put those models side by side, I don't know, the paint jobs speak differently to me just because some of the hand sculpted techniques, once it's done, 
you really, it's not precise, but you feel the yes. action of the moment. So like yeah, Paul Hicks does a very, to it. Yeah. yeah. But when you look, put that model really close to your eye and you're trying to decide where that particular bag on the uniform mm. ends and the uniform mm. begins, that can be a little muddled. That's why I was wondering like how you would approach something like that in your uh, tutorials. Yeah, well, you know, we, we talk about such things as and when we encounter them, as I mentioned. Um, but I understand what you mean. Uh, there's um, So Roger is uh, definitely the attitude of you can't beat the digital sculpting because it is so clean and so precise. But I understand what you mean. And I think it's because I've painted a lot of these armies over time where it is hand-painted, whereas Roger's experience has mostly been through Games Workshop because of where we used to work. Um, I think there is a, a raw charm to something that's been hand-sculpted. It's one of the reasons why I like Perry Miniatures so much. They've got something, they're very good at capturing a moment or a dynamic um, pose of something, even if the sculpt itself is not as clean as something that's been done digitally. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, as I say, we, uh, if we encounter that sort of thing, we do talk about it. We point out there's, an, there's a particular miniature, where there's an area where the, the detail might be soft or something like that, or it might be confusing. We'll talk about that kind of thing to explain it so someone's aware of it when they start painting that model. Now, um, one of the things I want to talk to you about next, and you've probably done this plenty of time, what type of paints do you use? So um, I think most, most people, like when you play multiple games, you have multiple paint lines. And I actually very rarely buy my own paint. It's like a safe gift people buy me. It's like, you know, he'll always use more paint. So I have a mix of GW, P3, Army Painter, and Vallejo. Um, you have a paint line out. And so this is your chance to talk about that. And my local friendly game store is actually looking at picking it up. Uh, uh, well, awesome. there's now that debate of how many paint lines can a yeah. paint store hold. So your name brings gravitas and weight to the field. But when you're already, when a store's already carrying four lines of, of paint, mm. the, the hurdle of selling more, dedicating another stand to the paint. So mm. yeah, shop space well, is important. Yeah. yeah, so let's take that massive question and just lob it at you. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll try and catch it. Yeah, not be crushed under the weight of it. Um, so let's unpack yeah. that one slowly. Okay, so well, first of all, uh, what paint range do you? Well, time for the sales pitch. I use the two thin coat. Well, I, I'm really, really, I use a mix of things. I obviously, from my time at Games Workshop, I'd use Games Workshop paints, and I considered it a professional thing to make sure I used them as much as possible so that what I learned, I could then put into the content of the video of explaining, all right, well, these paints behave in this way. So you've got to be aware of this thing when you paint your miniature, more than just the color, like, um, all right, so you're going to use Corax white. Okay, you've got to be ready that this is a really thick paint. And so it's got these unique aspects about it that are different to all the other ones. And so it's an extra layer of content you can then put in the video instead of just saying, just use that one. Um, now, since leaving workshop, I very quickly went experimenting with all sorts of different ranges to get different feels for things. And so when we were approached um, by Transatlantis to create the, the paint range, um, there were a number of things then that I had in my head of how I'd like paint to behave and how I'd want it to be for the sort of way that I use it. So the paint range that we've now got um, is developed with that sort of thing in mind. So it's not just existing colors or formulas or anything like that with our label put on it each one is designed from the ground up for me saying okay well i want a black that behaves like this so um for example if you've used um I mean, the clearest example i can think of i suppose is warpstone glow which is a color from citadel which is always uh, it's a lovely color 
but I've always found it very frustratingly thin. So when going into this, it's like, okay, so we're going to have an emerald green. I wanted to be able to do this sort of stuff. So we ended up going through rounds of testing the paint and trying it out to get it to behave in that way. So the result of it is the paints feel a little bit sort of oily slightly. They flow very, um, very smoothly. They tend to not show brush marks. And there is a reason for that, as we found out in the actual formulation of the paint, which we didn't know at the time because we're, the, the chemists were just giving us these bases and we were trying them. And in the end, I was like pointing at it like that one. And so they then took that and started adding the colors to it and giving all these different ones. As it turns out, the actual formulation of the paint is different to other ones and has um, a higher proportion of particular things in there that make it the way it is. So people will see, when people try it for themselves, and if they're used to painting with different brands, they'll see it immediately. They'll get exactly what I mean. It's hard to articulate, but like I say, it's like they're slightly oily. Um, but they, they cover nicely. They're very smooth. You don't see brush marks. So this is great. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that was that for me is the, the best thing. Now, the the incredible thing uh, that I struggle to get my head around is that people are then willing to give it a shot based upon my name, which I think I'm going to be endlessly thankful for to my dying day that people are willing to trust me for this sort of thing. Um, I really hope they like them when they come out. Um, I hope people enjoy using them. I hope they find them user friendly and well thought out. I hope they like the colours. Um, and so I hope people will just want to use them is, um, I suppose, the, the, the answer in a nutshell. Um, now, when it comes to stores carrying multiple lines, totally get that. And I think different paint ranges work well for different things. And I think people understand that. Um, so if you're going to be doing military modeling and you want accurate colors, then you're going to be looking towards Vallejo, for example. Um, so I don't think that's going to change. But I think our paint's going to have a good reputation for just being really nice, solid, reliable, user-friendly colors that people will just enjoy using. Um, I think people are going to particularly like Amitalics because they're very shiny and they're very smooth. They're very nice, those. Um, so I'm very excited to see what people come out with with that. Um, yeah, I suppose um, I should say then for the, the paints I use myself these days, um, since I've received a full production sample set of our ones, um, I've been using those... Um, and oh, it sounds <laughs> sounds healthy. I really like them, so I use them all the time now. <laughs> but then I would say that, right? But genuinely, I do. Um, and if it's colours where they aren't in our range, um, so say for example, um, with the uh, Sons of Horus, right? They're a specific green, um, so I've been using the Citadel greens for that specific purpose. But then when it comes to my Ash Waste Nomads, where I've been making up my own colour scheme, I've been using a lot of Tooth and Coats paints. Um, and the the Polish Wingdazar, who I did as a test model, he is a bit of a combination because I wanted a darker blue, which we don't have yet. So, um, yeah, so I use a mix, okay. I think. Um, I oh. think most people use a mix, and yeah, I, I tr our videos try and represent that. Well, I've always found it's... Um coverage and um the viscosity yeah and so i like p3s mm -hmm. uh paints on there just the way they cover and the way they glide off but when it comes for like gw's base coats like your old yellow and trachera orange great mm -hmm. for covering a lot mm -hmm. of the primers um so i've actually had multiple paints all the same color but just, mm -hmm. just because like well i use that one like lead culture mm -hmm. that's good for like doing machines but gunmetal mm -hmm. army penner I actually use on guns just because yes. it feels and covers differently. Um, yeah. So I saw your paint range has 60 colors right now yes. and you're looking to expand that. Yes. Are you going to get into right. washes? Um, uh, the washes are in it. Yeah. There's oh, um, okay. It, yeah. Well, and the initial 60, there are six washes. Okay. Um, well, 
So I normally have Army Painter and Citadel uh, washes, but I prefer the Citadel ones. Um, how would you say your washes compare to that? Um, you have washes... dropper bottles, which... <laughs> 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 yes, they're in dropper bottles. So the Citadel ones are quite inky in terms of how they behave. Um, so they tend to give a very strong, sharp jump to um, from light to dark, if you get what I mean. Because they, mm -hmm. they, they get very intense very quickly as they get deeper. Um, ours have a bit more of a, a gradual build up that way. Um, and when you apply them, they when you first put them on the model, it'll look very strong. It's a bit more like a contrast paint, I suppose. It's the best way to describe it. Okay. Um, they don't have that same um, almost quickly forming film that a contrast paint gives. I don't know if you've used them very much in the case of a wash, but the contrast paint is quite tricky to use like a wash um, because they dry faster. So they sort of form this skin so if you go yeah. back to it too early you rip it and so um so ours don't dry in that same speed but the feel of them going on feels similar to the more of what a contrast paint is like that's probably the best way i can describe it um yeah they're, they're not as strong as a contrast paint though certainly they do dry looking like how a citadel one does there's just a bit more of a gradual progression from the dark to light and how it builds up all right um so will you be adding brushes to your line have you thought hopefully about that? Okay. <laughs> hopefully because when uh, you said the line, i got yeah. your your public your publicity material there and you've made a comment that our line is going to expand it to other things which normally means brushes and um i've listened to some of your previous podcast interviews you gave and i if your answer is still the same and it's i love your thoughts on brushes so mm. what why don't you explain to the audience what your thought on brushes are because there's the very expensive and the very cheap what are your thoughts on them? Um, I think the best sort of stuff is to go middle ground uh, because you get what you pay for. And if you go for really cheap brushes, um, you certainly know about it. They, they don't last so long. Um, they struggle to hold points, that sort of thing. Um, but likewise, you can go crazy with brushes getting really expensive ones. Now, generally, I find it's not necessarily that the more you spend, the better they are. I mean, there is some truth in that, but each brush is different. And so when someone goes to buy one, I'd usually recommend trying to buy them in person if you can, because you can actually look at each individual one and check it, see what works best for you. Um, but you don't need the greatest and most expensive brushes to be able to do good stuff with them. Um, I, uh, I had a brush, um, what they call it, a regiment brush from the Army Painter, and started calling it Excalibur, because for whatever reason, it looked like the ugly duckling of brushes. In that, well, the ferrule where it meets the handle, some bristles were sticking out of it weirdly and stuff like that. It was really strange. But this thing kept a point perfectly. And it was a big brush, but I could paint eyes with it um, just because it held itself together so well. So, yeah, it's, uh, brushes are a quite a, an odd, malleable thing. Um, but, yeah, the, the hope is to have a set of brushes in amongst the range. Um, Transatlantis definitely wants to. So, um, so they're a new company. Um, but they're run by people who've been in the industry a lot. So, for example, some of their people used to work for Privateer Press and things. You know, they've, they've been around a whole bunch of different companies. Um, this is the first time they're doing their own thing. Um, now, I think they were delighted about how well the paint Kickstarter went uh, and was quite taken aback by how many people were interested into it. So they originally were going to be um, making numerous games with paints as one of their brands they were doing. Um, they found themselves actually becoming a paint manufacturer because <laughs> the demand's been so high. Um, so they set up these production lines for it and everything. And so they're very keen on expanding it. So yeah, we are working on more paints at the moment and um, all going well. You can expect more hobby supplies um, 
all of it designed to be um, value for money and as good a quality as we can manage. Now, I think what in the United States, where most of the listening base for this podcast is Asmodee's the distributor? That's the plan, yes. Yes. Okay. Will you be doing like Army Painter where you provide the stand? If like a retail location goes and picks up, um, because like Army Painter and GW have the various level stands. Mm -hmm. And I think my store has basically gone to like the full meal deal, Mm -hmm. carry everything and all of it. (laughs) Um, Are you, so if we pick up the Duncan Rhodes paint line, is the store going to be able to require the stand with it too? Because I think that's a lot of things that doesn't get considered is like, I've got to present your paints. Yeah. Now I don't know exactly what the individual deal with each shop's going to be because this is a quite far removed from where my involvement in all okay. is. Um, but I do know that they're doing a rack. Um, now, I believe it's Asmodee who's working on it. So this is going to be a, a particular US one. But if you imagine a thing like, yeah, you see for Citadel and Army Painter and things, this whole stand rack with a board on the top of it, things like that. There'll be with one your of those face with, on it? <laughs> exa- well, actually, yeah, one of the, the original version of it, I saw my face like, you know, smiling down from the top of the thing I, oh man it weird me out <laughs> it's so strange um but also quite funny at the same time roger was laughing about it quite loud uh, um so yeah and so in the us there should be this paint rack that you'll see appearing in stores all of it on there and as i understand it it would be get offered as the, the deal of stocking these paints to get all this and all this that and the other although i don't actually know but individual stores when we talk with asmodee about it that information will be there now when it comes to the rest of the world um this isn't being done by asmodee so um a form of point of sale um design um that's something that transatlantis are working on at the moment and they're looking at numerous options but there'll be something um i just can't say exactly right now what that thing's gonna look like all right um i just imagining like your face with like in the 80s style, like a little star <laughs> behind your head, like smiling, like twinkle in the eye. <laughs> well, they, they got um, the the original mock-up I saw. They'd just taken a picture of me from the um, the Painting Academy website. And it's a picture that I don't find particularly flattering. So seeing it on there was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I didn't know if it'd be like um, dodgeball, like when they go in like the, the super high-powered like gym. Oh, yeah. Like the yeah, yeah. look staring down. Globo Paint better. Gym, yeah. yeah. Paint <laughs> yeah. better. <laughs> I'm watching you, Larry. Yeah. <laughs> I, I said two coats. Two coats. <laughs> That's right. You call that thinning the paint? <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'd yeah. like that that'd be fun yeah <laughs> with like little leds in the eyes that are red or something yeah just like watching you like i'm watching yeah. you all the time <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, all right well i think we're ready to um move into like the main topic here so like mm. i i've taken a bunch of your classes there mm. and um i've tried to teach people to paint so in part of my effort to like be of so my daughter's in a homeschool group and this homeschool group has a D&D club and D&D's gotten super hot. And so um, even amongst like kids out there and adults, very widespread. And WizKids has started selling models. So a way for me to provide value is like, hey, you know what? Get some of these WizKids models. I'll show you how to paint them. Mm-hmm. But I found when you get like 15, 10 to 15 year olds together, um, and those are like the prime market to get into wargaming. And that's my secret hope is I'll, I'll teach you how to paint and <laughs> here's some battle tech minis and like, mm-hmm. here's a, 
here's some uh, Lord Lord game. Yeah, like, oh. hey, I've I've got some sp- space marines. You want to paint those? I might throw them in there. <laughs> um, the issue though is teaching in a class um, is different than trying to show someone to paint like side yes. by side with them. Um, yes. What what do you prefer? Have you ever done private one on one instruction, or have mm-hmm. it, has it always been class based settings? Um, I have done one-on-one instruction. That was more back in my retail days, though. Um, okay. Since since the odd um, twist in my life that was the first painting video came along, um, it's it's been more difficult to do something like that. And people do ask, um, but it's always so difficult to find the time for it. And at the same time, I find I feel really weird because uh, I oh we'll pay for it. I don't really feel right charging for just showing you how to paint your miniature. It's, it's, it's quite I have, weird. I have a video if you want to watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like there's all these videos designed to help doing it. Um, but yeah, do it, there is something special about doing it in person because there are some things that are really difficult to um, translate via a video, but actually sitting there showing people is a big difference. Um, now, everyone's always going to be at a different stage and everyone reacts differently to different instruction and different advice and things. So um, what I found with those classes... Um, that I did in America um, is that you have to almost get a, a standard plan going. So people are occupied. So off you go, get going, base coat this color. And then you have to go around and just watch what people are doing. And over time, you can start to spot um, patterns as to what people are doing correctly or not correctly. And you can start to hone your attention based upon who needs the advice the most. Now, it's still always the goal. With, I mean, with those classes, I was aware that they were, I mean, I, whilst I had nothing to do with it, I was aware that people were being charged to go to them. So I was certainly, I had to make sure that people felt like they were getting their value for money. So um, I used to actually have quite a lot of fun in just letting people know, you can ask me anything and I'll answer you honestly. And so they might ask for like the dirt behind the scenes. Yeah, <laughs> and I'd be like, "Oh, there isn't really any." But you know, there's this funny story of a of a thing. Here's the argument about what space marine belts are supposed to be like. Who knows? You know, just like little bits of trivia or whatever. Um, but you you got to watch what people are doing and try and give them that individual help, um, because there's usually just a thing that they're not aware of. That if you can just hop them over that barrier, it takes them to the new level of what they're doing and funnily enough most of the time it's about thinning your paint <laughs> strangely um. I, so i've i found especially doing with kids there's um i had like a little prep here it's like okay we're going to paint to a tabletop standard we're all probably only going to use five colors on these whiz kids models and i gave them all army painter so i now have my teaching set of paints and my pens paints for me because i found i became uncomfortable letting people mm-hmm. use my paints just oh yeah the way they, that. they treated my tubes there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but so the big difference was um how to load paint into a brush especially yep. with like people who've never painted um and what the concept of a drop of paint so like because these models are tiny like you only mm-hmm. need a drop of paint mm-hmm. and either people don't listen to me or their concepts of a drop is different because yep. i had like one of my 10 year olds take my yellow vallejo turn it upside down and then just fill yeah. dropper. It's like, yeah. you could cover every model at this table. <laughs> yeah. 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 You don't need so that much. Like, only a little so it's bit. like how you must've run into that. Cause I was in your classes and I saw mm. like families would come in and like take mm. up one section there and you'd have like the 10 year old kid and the 40, 45 year old guy there and um, peppering you with questions. Um, so you would have situations of where uneven levels of experience 
um, coming into that class. So I think you talked about like identifying that person, but do you have like a prep speech that you give? Um, or how do you demonstrate how to load uh, paint onto a brush? Cause there's some basics there that I assumed people knew, but I realized, well, I only know that because I've been doing this for a while. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. or do you title it in the class? Like this is a beginner class and this is a intermediate or this is advanced because it's that unevenness in age and experience that I think yeah. is, a, is an issue. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, you're absolutely right. The most difficult thing to navigate is the different degrees of experience that people are already there with, and they're all expecting something different out of it. You can't do a one size fits all kind of thing unless it's people just starting. And even in that case, everyone's going to um, catch on at different rates. Um, so that's why I say you have a sort of a loose plan to get going and then start honing it to individual tastes as best you can so for that reason um so i mean like i didn't have a great deal of control as to what the subject of these classes would be often um or indeed how many people would be going to them um but i found that the absolute limit to be able to do something worthwhile was 20 people preferably 12 um okay because well, the on my list here yeah well it's it's an important thing it's a part of it because the more people who are in there the less time you can give to each person and they need that time to be able to learn something so the more people you have in the class um the worse it becomes, honestly, um, unless you're doing more of a presentation and people aren't painting themselves, but they learn more if they paint themselves. So anyway, um, so my opening thing would be um, to basically just say hello and thanks for coming along um, because like, wow, I can't believe so many of you want to come along and paint with me. But anyway, thanks for being here. Um, I would encourage people to ask me anything they want to ask and try and um, be as approachable as possible. Um, because I, I really don't want people being nervous of talking to me or being scared to ask something. So I'd encourage them for anything. And it was always quite fun when people would start asking questions and it would build a nice conversation in the room and you get a nice atmosphere going. Um, and I would explain to people what we're going to, you're all going to be at different levels. Um, so what we're going to do is just get going together. And I'm going to be coming around and looking at what you're doing. And I'm going to give advice where I can. If at any point you're struggling, please just get my attention. I'll be right over as soon as I can. So, you know, to try and be as open and welcoming as possible. And um, then off we would go. Now, this brings me to, um, I can't remember what year it was, but there was, um, I believe it was Nova. There was a session where the subject was painting flesh, painting human flesh. And what I prepared for it was numerous skin tone recipes. Because, I mean, I had a lot of things to prepare for, lots of different subjects. There was about 10 different subjects, I think. And uh, I was like, okay, so that's paint, paint skin. Here's a bunch of recipes. So, you know, basically wash, lay, highlight, da, 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 all these different ones. And it was the first one that I did for the whole show and started going through this. And I realized halfway through that um, what people were painting wasn't looking like how I thought it should be looking. They weren't getting it right. And this was a, a big reinforcement. And I felt quite bad about it, to be honest, because it's like, okay, so the class might be painting human flesh. What it really is, is a class on layering. Um, because to get those smooth gradients in the army painting way of what we were known for, that's what you're doing. So I completely, so afterwards, I went back to my room. I basically ripped up the script and redid it. So rather than people getting given three miniatures each, they got given one. And then I had potential two more for everybody if they wanted to practice fresh. And what we're like, is like, okay, so we're just going to do this skin tone using Bugma's Glow as a starting point because this is, um, this, at the time, this is one where we've got set paints. I have them all. We can just do this. And when it comes to the layering stage, it's really clear. It's really obvious. And you can see 
the technique much easier than doing really dark skin or really pale skin. So it's sort of like in between okay. what we're doing, right? And uh, so often we'll go base coat it, then wash it. And I'd be going around and I, what I'd be looking for is what are people doing with the brush? What they're doing with the paint? So it's not necessarily the model at that stage. It's like, how are they getting it ready and stuff like that? And that can then make me go, all right, key points and stuff. Okay, so I need to watch that person, that person, that person. All right. Then when it gets to the layering part that I'm now aware of, this is what the class really is about. Um, I was painting diagrams and putting them on the projector to show people to explain the sort of thing I was doing. And I'd then show them loosely what to do. And then I'd be like, right, pick an arm, go. And then I'd start going around and looking what people were doing. And it, there was a really magical moment on it where a guy was trying to paint the arm of this miniature and it wasn't working. It was all really cartoony looking. And I was like, right, just start fresh on the other arm. I just want to watch what you're doing. And as he was getting the paint ready, I'd be like, right, okay, you've got too much there. You need to thin it like this. No, thin it more, thin it more, thin it more. And he was like, uh, this feels weird. It's like, trust me, just keep thinning it more. Okay, now you got to like that. Clean your brush, get rid of all the paint in there. Okay, what you've mixed there, that's the consistency it has to be. So just load up a small amount fresh. You can see your brush is no longer bulging with too much paint or water or things like that. Apply it. Okay, you can see the paint's now translucent. All right, we'll just let that dry for a second. Now do your second coat, narrow it a bit more, focus towards your highlight. And there you go, it suddenly looked great. And he, I remember him looking at it, then looking at my example I've been carrying on with me and look back at his and he's like, it looks just like yours. And I was like, yes, it is. That's what I mean by two thin coats. And it, it was over the moon. So these experiences are magical when someone gets it, but that was the individual aspect of that guy. And not everyone was at that same point, but because of those initial stages where I purposely set up to watch what people are doing, I was able then to you know judge it as I went around. So um, it is a bit of an organic process. Um, you do have to be you know, light on your feet to see what people are doing. Um, and it is tiring, especially when you've got loads of them to do. You definitely hit a wall at a point. Um, but that's the best way of doing it. So that's why I think the best way to do it is to have a class of 12 or less people and to set up your plan that whilst you might be saying, all right, in this one, we're going to be showing you how to paint Space Marine Power Armor. What you actually know is it's about the technique. And you know that means what you're going to be showing people is how to neatly shade things and then how to edge highlight things. So, uh, yeah. I think when you started, um, I took different painting classes at Nova, but some people mm -hmm. had the camera and the big screen TV behind them. So mm -hmm. they could show, because I think some of the classes went up to 30 um, mm -hmm. people in there. Um, but of course, those are the more advanced classes. People wanted to be there. Yes. Um, yes. So they were really focused. Um, but I don't think when you started, you always had like the camera eye and the television. <laughs> no, so, no, um, I, th I think that came in the later ones where they actually gave you a better setup and a minder to help you out. Um, yeah, and, yeah. Well, and make sure uh, people didn't walk off with paint. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's because um, the first time I did so, uh, what actually happened was the very first time I went to a show was Adepticon. And I think I had three seminars on that. And they were all about painting Carriage on Overlord. Um, the regular, I can't remember what they're called, the Arconauts, that's it, the regular Arconauts. And they weren't out yet. So the cool thing was that everyone got one of them early and we did a painting class together on painting those miniatures. But really it was about having a chat and just having a bit of fun. Now the second one I went to, suddenly it went up to 10 classes and all the subjects were picked for me and I was on my own. Um, so as a previous one, I had a helper. So I was like, there's a lot of things to do here and it was exhausting. So when I went back, I gave back the feedback of like, right, okay, so you know, we can do this, but if we are going to do it properly, we need to have these things. Otherwise, it's just a bit naff for the people, entertain, uh, people attending. So they started making adjustments based on that. So, yeah, yeah. Later on, they started putting um, screens and things like that to illustrate things. But there's still no substitute for actually sitting with the person and pointing out what to do as they're doing it. So I did find after a little while, the screen actually 
it's good for starting out, but after a little while, you don't use it anymore. Okay. All right. Uh, I didn't know how indispensable um, having that screen and camera, because are there certain things you just can't show, especially in a class of 15 people? I mean, to go around yeah. to each person and say, okay, here's how you load paint. Because um, I think my experience, um, I don't, from your describing the classes, everyone wanted to be there. And I know everyone wanted a piece of your time, um, <laughs> whether for painting or not. Um, but in my situation, I would have, I had like a four hour painting session and there were a couple of people on there who just loved it. And with their one WizKids models, all four hours, they still weren't done because mm -hmm. they wanted to bring out every little detail. Of course, then you have the other kids who are like, well, this is the mo only model I'm ever going to paint. Um, and in my group, I had a mix of um, ADHD and autistic uh, kids in there. And so a half hour was like really pushing how much time they were going to get into it. But it brought up that question of like, do I spend my time with the person who's producing an inferior paint job, but they really aren't that interested in doing a paint, good paint job? Or do I spend mm. my time on the person who really wants to be there and really wants, because mm. some of the people wanted to do, I want to do glow effects. I want to do magic on here. Mm. Um, so in your situation, would you focus on the person who's struggling or the person who you can see, I could take this person to the next level on painting skill? Um, you have to um, judge it in the situation because there's no, not going to be one blank answer. Um, what you have to do is, um, well, it, it depends on what the, the stage is that they're at. So say, for example, if you're doing one of these classes where it's people who are just, they've never done it before, like you say, with well, your Dungeons and Dragons, um, it's a bunch of school kids who have just got into playing D&D &D and they want to paint some miniatures. Um, at that stage, the most important things are that they have fun and that they have the confidence to do it. Um, so they don't have to be producing miniatures that look amazing. Um, as long as they like their miniature, as long as they've had fun and they're really proud of it, that's the most important thing um, because that feeling is magic and that's what gets you to do it again. Um, now, if, they, if you get them to do particular things where they end up with a miniature that you know, objectively looks really good, but they haven't enjoyed themselves, then it's just a waste of time because they're not going to pick it up again. Um, so it's, it's a case of kind of working out for that individual what's going to make them feel those good things and what's going to make them happy and then you know do that for them so if they're just having a blast whacking colors on the miniature and they don't particularly care about making it neat or anything like that but they're having so much fun then it's just like oh that's really cool have you thought about using this color and stuff and just sort of you know giving a bit of direction um but it's something that they'll hone over time if they want to learn to get better at it um, if someone is asking particularly like, oh, they've done something, they're disappointed with it, then yeah, again, you can go, all right, we'll try this. It's also, again, you have to call it based upon what the class is about. But if they're looking at doing some cool glow effect, like I want my evil warlord's eyes to be glowing red, it's a good idea just to have a few little tricks in your back pocket that are very easy to do. So um, for example, with space marines, um, doing the old trick where you just make sure you just run a black wash into the eye, you paint a white line in the middle of it, and then you put a red wash over the top of it. So you get the appearance of glowing red eyes. Um, people love that sort of stuff when they do it for the first time and it looks cool. They love it. I mean, hell, even just applying a wash over chainmail or something like that the first time they do it and see the effect come through. They love that sort of thing. So it's a case of just calling it based upon what the experience is. Now, the classes that I was doing were generally speaking at a different point because everyone coming to them was already committed to the hobby and already knew who I was. So a lot of them were just interested in hanging out with me and having a chat, which was a bizarre thing to get my head around, but that was a lot of the case. Um, so 
that put them at a different point because I didn't have to so much worry about just catching their attention in miniature painting. But if you're doing a class where it's people doing it for the first time, the focus is this is really fun and you probably want to do more of this. So you see what I mean? You've got you to decide what your goal is for that session and work towards that. So one, um, I took a, like one of the Nova Opens, I took like almost every class that you gave. Mm-hmm. So yes, no matter what you painted, a lot of the questions were all the same. And yeah. The standard yeah. stock answer to shoot back out when they started asking <laughs> questions. But what, so when to get people engaged, since there was a D&D group, I said, um, I bought all the WizKids models. So like, mm-hmm. let's remove price from the issue and they're not that expensive anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but pick out what character you want. But that meant everyone as beginner painters had a different model yeah. that they were trying to paint. So different levels yeah. of complexity. Yeah. Um, so I, I want your feedback on this. Or should I have gone with the exact same model for everybody? That way it become easier to instruct the technique. But people might be less engaged with that model because mm-hmm. it's not the one. It has no purpose for them. Like, yeah. So I could have gotten them all tactical space Marines. I've got plenty of those. Mm. We could have gone over it, but they weren't playing Warhammer. They were playing D and D and they wanted mm. to be their character. So they wanted. Absolutely. To so what, what's your feedback on that? Um, you know, the standardization of the format versus the engagement of everyone when, mm. when teaching beginners. In that case, it's about the engagement. So you totally want them to be painting something that is of interest to them. Um, so I think you're right in having the variety of miniatures. Um, you then have to sort of stack it in your favor, though, depending on what you want to get across in it. So um, you could, for example, have um, maybe just four figures, but they're speaking to broad archetypes in oh, the okay. D&D thing. So, so for example, wizard, you have, fighter. Yeah. yeah, a wizard who could be a sorcerer or a druid or something, you know, you could, you could swing it that way by just painting them in the appropriate colors. Um, so that's one thing you can do. And that certainly helps limit it because then what you can do is on purpose, um, your fighter is going to be wearing armor. So this could be your paladin, your fighter, potentially your barbarian. I know they're not supposed to wear armor, but you can get away with it. And it means that you don't have to start going across tricky things like painting flesh too early. You can just concentrate on the easy thing of like, okay, so what's your main color on your guy going to be? green silver blue whatever wicked we start with that so this is a first base coat so the way you do it is this 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 so then it's about the technique you see being applied to that miniature so the miniature is more of a canvas and you let them choose the colors with a degree of um direction to it so you purposely have picked the green that you know covers well and the red and the blue or whatever so the options they've got should all lead them to have a good experience you see what i mean so it's Mm -hmm. a degree of control to it and it definitely takes planning but that way you can direct them to have a good time. Now, if instead, like you could do that as an like initial thing, this is what miniature painting is. This is really cool. Wicked, you painted your palette in. That's really cool. Now, we're going to do another one, which is actually going to be a little bit more in-depth about painting techniques. And in this one, instead, you're all going to get an orc, but this one's going to be about painting green skin. And what I'm going to do is show you more about washes and about how you do this. And how can, do you paint the eyes? How can you do it? Can you get away with it? So you can st- start to hone it towards particular things. But it's always building then on the basis of them having had a good time and wanting to do more. If, if you do the detail stuff too early, you see, it can put people off. Well, I like the orc idea because if I had 15 people in a game of d and I probably would need 15 orcs. So that would actually yeah. give me something like, hey, we all have to paint orcs for the game. So everyone mm-hmm. show up, paint one orc. I, I like yeah. that idea. Yeah, you could not- go 
Well, in this one, I'm going to show you a great technique of what we call highlighting, which maybe in your initial class, you're just not done highlighting at all. You just base coated and washed everything, and that's it. Uh, but we're going to show you highlighting now. A great technique for highlighting is something called dry brushing. In this class, what we're all going to do is paint a wolf or an owlbear or something like that. You're all going to get one, same model, but what I'm going to do is show you this technique. And you can even let them pick different colors to do your base coat wash, whatever. Then when it gets to the dry brush, you go, right, what color is your, your wolf? All right, it's brown. Okay, what you need to do now, pick a light brown. And you want this particular brush. This is what's special about this technique. It does this, this, this. You do this, you do that. There's that effect. Now, this works best on stuff that's really highly textured, like your chainmail links or something like that. It's not so good on smooth surfaces like an arm of a, I don't know, of the barbarian or something like that. But it's great for that sort of thing. And so you can revolve the whole class about teaching them that thing. But again, it all works on the basis of they understand what it's about, that it's fun. And they go, yeah, I really like this and I want to get a bit better. So you give them a thing, one like bite-sized chunks to build upon what's originally there. Okay, so, all right. So thinking about that, I could do, just get a whole bunch of monsters with fur and a whole bunch of monsters yeah. with feathers. Yeah, um, exactly. Let pick whichever one they yeah. want. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And just the commonality would be the texture of the model, which would affect the technique that we would apply. Yeah, Okay. exactly. And what your class is actually about is dry brushing. And so as you're setting up the thing where you get them all to base coat their chosen creature and whatever, and you'll provide a numerous shades of brown, gray, or whatever, whatever, whatever you want it to be. Um, you let them pick that. Um, you let them do the wash and things. And whilst they're doing that, just go around, just watch what people are doing, seeing if there are people who tend to just gum on too much paint and things and direct them as they're doing it. But then when it comes to the dry brushing, you can say, right, this is really important. Look, everybody, and go around showing them up close you know, this is the key thing. And that way, you know which people are likely going to struggle with understanding how much actual paint to use. And so you can make sure your attention's focusing towards those parts. All right, let me ask you on these thoughts. So I, I'm in the position where I can buy paints for mm -hmm. other people to use or, and I've got tons of models and I can get more and WizKids are really cheap. But for someone else doing this, um, a bring your own miniature, bring your own paint. Mm -hmm. What a What's your thoughts on that? Of like, hey, I'll teach you how to paint, but you got to bring your own stuff. Um, because that would mean you'd have a class of mixed models, mixed mm. paints. Someone would have more paints than someone else. Someone mm. probably always happens. Someone shows up without brushes. Um, I know yeah, when I well, went to your classes, I brought my own brushes because I like to lick my brushes. Which my yeah. <laughs> And I'm, uh, I'm sure 30 years from now, we'll find out GW put some form of radiation in their paints and my jaw will rot out. Some <laughs> addictive substance to make you buy more miniatures. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what? We didn't discuss how your paints taste. <laughs> oh, this, the, the washers the, don't taste very nice. I'll uh, tell you that. Well, you know, a little <laughs> extra so lead, <laughs> some more lead will make it extra sweet. Right? That's right. Oh, it makes you feel good. Um, <laughs> so if for a class like that, I'd be very careful with such a broad, open potential series of subjects because you could have um if you make it too open if someone's just been painting these dnd things and they've gone on the internet they then discovered age of sigma and then they discovered 40k and things you could be expecting people to turn up with fantasy things someone turns up with a tank someone's got some epic scale napoleonics like it could be anything and at that point what you've basically got is not so much a class but more of a club just sitting and painting together which is fine and you could certainly mm -hmm. do something like that. Mm -hmm. And if you are doing a, a, a class where it is a case of bring your own miniature and just join and have fun, you could go into it that in mind, understand everyone's going to be doing something different and just go around giving advice where you can and making it um, about that, about you know giving some people some little bits of advice, but also getting them all to connect with each other on this level so they all want to play with each other or something like that. Um, so it's, it's a different 
thing if you go that way if you are trying to uh, again what, what it's all about is what's your objective to get across in that class and you've got to work towards that so let them bring whatever they want well the objective there is probably going to be something like build get them all to build a rapport with each other so they all want to play games together mm-hmm. get them to just get excited about it so if one of them's discovered 40k and he wants to show everybody that's a cool thing because then they can all get into something else there um but what you're not going to do is do a general thing on teaching how to paint flesh because half the class might not have any... Exactly, yeah. So it's all about what's your thing. Is it about just getting them more fun and excited? Okay, well, in that case, it's going to be fairly free-form, but teaching the basics. Is it about teaching a technique? You've got to set it up to have the options there to direct them on that technique. Is it just to build a club atmosphere and have fun? Then sky's the limit. So, yeah, always think about what your objective is going to be. All right. Um, What are your thoughts about using contrast paint? Um, So I think I rejected contrast paint until I took one of your classes and you're painting the the triptych of Stormcast and uh, Eternals that came out with one of the uh, hmm. Shadespire sets. I and remember that. Actually, yeah, yeah. And that was around the time where everyone was telling you the same joke about two thin coats versus yes. the contrast. And yeah, um, finally one but, thick coat. Uh-huh. Yeah. But <laughs> you actually showed thinning down the contrast. Yeah. And using it more like a heavy wash, which I absolutely loved. And I adopted that. But one of the things I've noticed with contrast paints is it seems targeted towards a beginner. Mm-hmm. And I think to get them up to a certain standard of painting, but there's a limit of how far you can push contrast. And then you have to switch to some of the older techniques, other paints there. Um, but would you recommend contrast for a beginner? Just because I'm thinking of the brush control required because exactly yeah certain models would accept it more than others yeah that becomes an issue um so yeah all that uh, when contrast came out the marketing promotion of it with finally one thick coat you know great for beginners and stuff like that that was a lot of marketing stuff and and you soon left games workshop after that exactly yeah so through the towel yeah when they made me stand at a show underneath (laughs) a banner saying finally one thick coat oh the photos all day anyway no no really (laughs) there's a nuance to it because you're right so to get the best out of a contrast paint you've got to have motor control over manipulating it you've got to understand what it's going to do you've got to have an expectation as to how such a paint is going to behave over a given surface and also when you look at the citadel contrast paints there are numerous different types in amongst the range so if you try ultramarines blue versus flesh terrors red you'll see they're different flesh terrors red is more inky whereas ultramarines blue is more cloudy and this then causes them to act in different ways and dry in different ways so a beginner's just not going to have any real understanding of this sort of thing and so if they don't realize it quickly you're opening yourself up to essentially a disappointing experience because the model's just going to look like a mess especially if they're not dry and then start putting on the next color and it all starts mixing and goes horrible mm-hmm. and if they end up with something that looks really bad they might be embarrassed about it and then not, not come back um because people do get like if if they're surrounded with a load of people and they're all painting better than them they're not very good that can put people off because they get embarrassed about it um so for that reason with contrast paints I'd only use them for very particular things or very, if I'm trying to show a particular way of painting a miniature. Um, if it's a beginner who's never painted before, I tend to stick towards just acrylic paints. And the first thing would just be to get them to understand about why you think you paint down and having that precision as you start to, because you start with the initial details where it doesn't matter, where you start painting a space ring blue. But then when you start painting the gun black, you have to have a bit more control. Then you start painting the gold trim of the shoulders, you've got to have a bit more control. So you can kind of hone it 
And then as the final thing, you show them the magic of applying a wash over something to get the shading. And that's basically it. Um, now, if you're doing the contrast paint equivalent, it's a much bigger ask right from the very start. So if I was going to use contrast paints, I would have um, weighted it for something like um, a Nurgle Plague Bearer, for example, where mm -hmm. you paint the green contrast paint all over it. It's so really simple, and it does that weird shaded effect of it. And then you're using the regular paints to neatly paint and everything else. Because if you're going with that contrast method, that workshop we're promoting for a while, where it's going to paint everything with contrast paints, you need that neatness right from the get-go. And it just doesn't really work for a beginner. Um, you're I, I asking a bit too much. There. Yeah. I think our store owner, he got was the, the free Space Marine that mm. Games Workshop gave to like for people to try out. There's like one Primaris. Yeah. And he took one of those for every contrast paint. Mm -hmm. And certain ones, the smooth plate lines, the large, the large acreage you're trying to cover, um, great for very nuanced, um, greebly models, but like long areas of smooth coverage, not so much. Um, it would just pool in odd places. Um, surprisingly good for historical. Like, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But okay. Um, <laughs> One of the things, since you're doing a painting line, um, one of the people I taught was one of the parents and he decided I want to get into painting and like the whole family's going to paint. All right. And when selling a starter set, I took him through the store and said, here's some starter sets from GW. Here's some of the army painter ones, um, WizKids Vallejo brand. When I took him to the army painter speed paints, which like their answer to contrast. And I said, well, you know, contrast has this limit. I explained him my thoughts on it. Then he turned it over and he saw the price instantly set it back down. <laughs> mm -hmm. so yeah. They're expensive. I, I think that's been the issue of picking up contrast. Since, like you said, they're all, they're the more expensive paints and they all behave differently hmm. based on the color tone. So I never know what I'm going to get when I drop my $9 for that bottle. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, I could buy paints that I'm, I know how they're going to perform. Mm -hmm. um i understand acrylics i know what it's going to do contrast aka glazes not so much <laughs> <laughs> yeah they sort of are they are for staining things um they they literally are designed to be a base coat and a wash in one that's the that was the driving idea behind them um so if you think about them in that way it makes a bit more sense but also because they are so liquidy you know that on a large surface they're going to do particular things um I find I gravitate towards particular ones that I find for my way of painting. They just work very nicely and the, the paint thins well. Um, so, um, I mean, for example, I'm not a massive fan of the Ultramarines blue one, the cloudier ones. They, I find them a little bit more um, tricky to get a consistent result with. Um, but the ones that are more inky, like um, Snakebite Leather, um, uh, Black Templar and Dryad Bark. Um, is it Dryad Bark? The really dark one. Dark brown. Dry bark comes to mind, but I don't think that's actually what it's called. Dried. Anyway, yeah, it's the really, really dark brown one. I keep thinking dried bark, but I don't know. Maybe that is the name of it. Anyway, ones like that, those ones are really good and they've got their purposes, but it, it is particular purposes. It's not a, um, a magic tool that will do everything. Um, you can actually do really clever things with them if you once you get your head around them, you understand what they can do. So I did paint, um, so over the, all the lockdowns, um, so I do 
Napoleonic reenactment, right? And uh, <laughs> all saw, the guys I in saw the group. your photo on Facebook. Yeah. Surprise. Oh, Walk around with my shako on. Yeah. Yeah. I play the baddies, the French, because you always need some baddies to go against, right? Uh, <laughs> no offense to the French listeners. <laughs> I'm English, so that's how we all think of it. Anyway, um, so uh, yeah, what I did was put together all the guys in the group. They all wanted something to do based in Napoleonic. So they all had to go at painting armies and things. So I threw together a quick photo guide of painting a Napoleonic soldier with contrast paints. And um, if you think of it as staining colours on top of each other and you get your head around what they're going to do as you start putting one over the top of the other, you can actually do quite easy ways of painting things very fast. Um, but you want to have something with lots of texture on it, which a Napoleonic soldier will have. But say, for example, you get a heavily diluted version of the skeleton colour, like the bone one, which is called Skeleton Horde, I believe. And um, you wash that all over, diluted, so it's just a sort of a slight khaki-ish hint onto it so that gives you the shading on your whites then you color in the blue neatly so carefully with that but now the initial one on there that initial color is marked out where the lines are for you so it's easier to color that in um then you use the really strong ones after that so you're looking at the really dark brown and the black and you go over those particular parts paint a bit of silver and a bit of red apply a wash and you, your model's just about finished so you, you can you know can be clever about it um but, uh, but I suppose dragging it back to the original point of talking about all this, there is that level of knowledge that's required, which makes the situation more complicated. And remember that first uh, impact that a beginner's got to have is a fun and interesting experience. So you just got to sort of decide on what it is you're doing. If they're painting something like a space marine, I'd steer clear of it. If they're painting a demon of chaos uh, or something with lots of fur, then yeah, certainly a contrast paint is a great starting point, but I'd only use one and it would be purposely all over it then i'd be using regular paints after that okay um so when i gave my example to you of the the scenario i ran which is i have i'm reaching out to you for feedback on that of painting the whiz kids so the whiz kids you don't prime hmm. and that's like a selling feature to like um parents like you know go into the store five bucks you get two models you don't have to buy a can of primer or worry about your kids spraying glooping up the model um but do you think that leads to a good paint result because i found painting like reaper black or um the whiz kids like the stuff you don't need to prime mm-hmm. not as happy with the paint job um yeah, afterwards. yeah there's something about how the paint sits on that type of plastic um so i was just wondering your thoughts on primer because i remember when painting the Stormcast, uh Zandri dust gold over Xandri dust. So you got me to paint priming gray. I always mm-hmm. primed either white or black. The 2017 Noma started priming mm-hmm. gray, loved it. Mm-hmm. But then the idea, well, Xandri dust put gold, then Gilliman contrast thinned down over the gold. Mm-hmm. That changed my perspective. Like, well, you can modify a whole mm-hmm. different variables at all levels of the model to create yeah. different effects. So with beginners, do you think it's better to have the pre-paint which is normally probably what they'd uh, the pre-primed that they would have or to um, have them experience priming or just prime certain select models. As we talked, like the armored models, the feathered models going into Um, it. I would, it depends on how much you want to put into it. If you try to create a club environment where, um, you know, it's like the bedrock of their hobby, really. Then you could certainly have it as if you're doing it once a week. All right, if you've got some models that you need to prime, you come along, we can all do it together, something like that. Because mm-hmm. I do think priming 
properly does make a difference to the experience because I know exactly what you mean with the the pre-prime miniatures. It's definitely a selling point of them, um, but I find that the miniatures often have pretty dodgy mold lines and things on them that you got to clean off anyway. So there's still some of the plastic yeah, showing yeah. through. <laughs> so not you know I mean at, at the stage we're talking about maybe no one cares about mold lines or anything like that. So if it's just a quick rough and ready, let's go. This is what it's about. Then yeah, you can make do with that. Um, but I think it's a good idea to make people understand. Well, this is priming. This is why you do it. This is why it's worth doing. Um, you can do it by just painting the model. Um, but really, the best thing to do is to use a spray. And then it's up to the individual to really sort of see how to do that. But if you are doing this weekly class or something, and it is a case of, all right, bring your model and we'll spray it at the thing. You could line them all up and do them in one go. That'd be a pretty cool thing. And again, it encourages that community aspect of things. So I think um, one of the things I try to explain to people is the cost of different primers. I think, mm. especially for a new person, and I love standard Mechanicus Gray. Mm-hmm. And I love the um, the nozzle on it. I actually think provides the right coat um, mm-hmm. over it. But at $20, $22 US, a lot yeah, of people have cheap. a hard time. Yeah. But Krylon Gap Filler Gray that you can mm-hmm. get for six bucks at um, a hardware store, mm-hmm. that is cheaper. Um, really works well on metal models, like really grips to it, but very easy to flood. Mm. But once again, six bucks, Mm. but it's like for that six bucks, you can ruin a model before you even painted it. Um, So there's that trade off of of trying to sell people on price Mm. versus the quality of the outcome. Like I know how to use a Krylon can just because I've ruined some models. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, you've learned. You've gone through the fires of it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but trying to explain that to someone is like, hey, I'm your, I'm your mountain Sherpa here. You're going to want to take this path. Mm. But trying to sell them on like $22 versus $6 is, yeah. is a struggle there. Yeah, well, you just got to give them the choice of like, this is basically how it is. So they can just paint over the plastic, but they're not going to get the same experience if you use a spray. This stuff's designed for it. Um, but like in any hobby, the proper stuff is expensive. So um, you can get away with these things, but there are a few things. And you can offer that, you know, I can show you what to do, but you just got to be aware of these things can happen. So it's a matter of being honest about it and giving options, I think. Um, My experience with hobbies is that people will, when they're getting into it, understandably, will try and, you know, keep things um, as cheap as possible, um, which makes complete sense. But if if someone decides, okay, so I'm committed to this, I really like it, that's when people they invest the money in it because they enjoy the experience of it because they're paying for that. Um, so you mustn't um, make assumptions for people. Um, well, what's the phrase I've heard? Uh, the bigotry of low expectations. I've heard as a phrase, which sounds pretty oh. hardcore, doesn't it? You know what I mean? I, but, I know who came up with that phrase. Yes. Yeah, but it's um, uh, but I've heard, and it does it is applicable in a way because you kind of think to yourself. This stuff's really expensive. They're never going to do it unless I show them all the cheap stuff. But if they really love it, they may well be willing to put that extra money in. So you've you've got to let people make their own choices on it and just give them the information so they can, you know, you can give recommendations, but um, let them decide what they want to do for themselves. Well, I think there's that issue of um, knowing, having fallen in love with it, you regret, regret making those cheaper choices mm-hmm. at the beginning because yep. you think, well, that's wasted time and money. Yeah. But... If you try, I have seen, so in Rio Rancho, you know, the Warhammer Open is going to be coming to New Mexico. It's going to conclude at the Santa Ana Pueblo. Um, But there's a Rio Rancho store here. 
um, a games workshop, Warhammer store, whatever you call them now. And I've seen parents walk in with their kids and the kids say, I've heard of Warhammer. And you see like the mom standing behind him, like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. And uh, trying to sh- trying to shepherd the case of like, well, here's a combat patrol box and here's your primer can, here's your paint brushes, here's the paint. Mm-hmm. And then you look at that bill on the way out. It's like, mm-hmm. I could have bought an Xbox. <laughs> For, mm-hmm. <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to do a viable army here um mm-hmm. i always love the barnes and noble uh you don't have them uk but they had the blitz bowl and space marine adventures paint sets yeah that's the sort of thing of primer. If... like if they had a tiny can of primer it's a little, right <laughs> <laughs> it's a little one. <laughs> you had almost but, everything you needed ready to go yeah it's so when people are starting out with that again it's about that fun experience so if it gets them going they can just paint the model black or gray or whatever and use that as the primer. It's not perfect, but it will make do. And okay. it's that sort of thing of um, don't think of having to get it all at once. Um, if they get their start set, they're having fun. And um, I mean, it's, it's different from family to family because like I say, the, I mean, I've witnessed times where the parent sees the price and just drags the kids straight out of the shop. But I've also seen times where the parents like, they realize that, uh, I mean, they'd be sort of interested in it too. But they see all the other kids having a good time together. They see the interactions. They enjoy the people who are running the store because they're nice and you know welcoming and stuff. And they go, okay, so from this, my kid's going to gain confidence and talk to people. They're going to gain a particular skill in doing something. They're going to understand that to get a good result and something takes time. And they have to put that investment into it. They're going to make friends out of it. Um, and um, often, you know, oh, I can do this with them. It's a fun thing we can do together. And then all of a sudden, it's not so much about the cost anymore. And they'll work their way through it. I mean, I remember sitting down playing games with my dad and painting miniatures with my dad. That's when I was getting into it. That's the sort of thing I'd do. And I've seen that happen a lot of parents coming in, playing it with their kids. And suddenly you get a thing where um, you remember the, the dad um, from my retail days. And it's like at the end of the evening or something, you're about to close up the shop. And at the last minute, he comes in. He's just finished work. And he's like, I just want to get a can of spray because I want to surprise him because he's done really well on a test. And, you know, mm-hmm. so it, it suddenly becomes a nice thing that they do together, a nice creative thing. And many parents much prefer the kid to actively doing something like that and reading stories and stuff to playing on their Xbox all the time. And the world is changing, so it's not like it's an easy sell or anything, but some parents do see the value in that. Uh, I, I have to admit, there has been a resurgence in more of the tactile games. Yes. Um, oh, there's definitely been a renaissance of yeah. um, board games and miniature games and things over the last five years or so. Definitely. Yeah. I think if it hadn't been for the pandemic. Uh... Oh, it's definitely helped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Certainly. But even before that, I was definitely seeing more and more people wanting to do something that wasn't just a computer game. So, yeah. Uh, all right. I think I, I set a little timer next to me. I think I've blown right by. Uh, <laughs> I told your, well, your handler. It, your... <laughs> it was an interesting conversation. So. <laughs> no, I, I appreciate it. Is, so before we wrap up here and return people to their days and I can start my morning here, um, is there anything else you want to throw out there? Anything you missed covering? Uh, um, your, I, think your chance? I think that's basically all of it. Um, I mean, it's nice to talk about. So my passion is helping people enjoy their hobby more. It's what I've always enjoyed the most. And I'm very lucky to be in a position where I can do it now on the level I do. Um, so yeah, definitely. Um, I, I think a really important thing to um reinforce is that um life's made of small experiences that change the course of what you're doing um and you'll look back on things and realize oh that moment that experience is what got me to do these things um and so 
for you folks out there who are doing painting lessons and things um or who are working in games workshop retail stores or hobby stores or things like that you're going to be doing these experiences every day and um you won't realize it but you'll do a thing one day perfect normal day you'll teach a kid a thing they'll do this thing that sets them on a course of life that's going to take them in a way that you wouldn't expect so me for example um gaining the confidence to do warhammer is what's led me to be getting married next well this month now um because i can trace meeting my um, now fiance through wargaming and it's not actually games or anything but it's the people i met in those situations allow me to do those sorts of things so it's bizarre to think of it but um the impact you have on people can change the course of their life it can be somebody like me who was extremely shy and introverted is now able to stand on stage and talk to a big crowd about painting toys and having a good time so <laughs> um so to all of you who do this sort of thing and who are welcoming to people into the hobby i take my hat off to you because it's not easy and often it's thankless but it is really important oh that's that's an interesting connection there yeah i play games workshop now i'm married I'm like okay yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it goes all the way back through this stuff because, I mean, um, so I met her on a dating site, which I wouldn't have joined had Roger not talked me into it, um, who I wouldn't have met Roger had I not got a job at Games Workshop, which I wouldn't have done had I not met Chris Peach, who, you know, you see, these things all go back. And it's weird, but it's like that one little event that hadn't happened if this person hadn't made me feel good. Um, this guy called Chris Pritchard, who I bought my first box of Space Marines from, if he hadn't made me feel good about it and I hadn't had fun, then I probably would have stuck with it all the way that I have done. So I didn't know if you were going to make a sliding doors reference there. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure. I wouldn't know it to make it, I'm afraid. Okay. But, okay. Yeah. Um, just a movie about the butterfly effect. You know, we, yes. We make choices. Turn effect. left. Or turn right. Yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if you play Games Workshop, you too can be married right there. It's one day. One Why day. not? Why not? I'll, I'll get off my podium now. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I've well, been quite reflective about this sort of thing recently. I have seen I have seen Games Workshop employees destroy stores too. Oh yeah. Yeah. This is what I mean. It's a big responsibility. Yeah. 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 I've I've seen similar things. I've experienced myself. Um yeah, having a bad interaction can also put someone off it completely. So, yeah. Well, Duncan, I once again like to thank you and giving me feedback on my particular problem. I'm sure it's other people who are trying to expand their local game clubs might have had. And uh, appreciate your work in breaking down probably one of the bigger barriers because uh, people can master rules or you can mess up rules and no one cares. They can have fun. But mm -hmm. painting is that, you know, that first door you've got to breach. Mm -hmm. there so yeah uh duncan i'd like to thank you and i uh, hope you enjoy the jubilee oh thank you very much you're very welcome this has been a, a great chat um and if anyone does ever want to talk to me about it um you can look me up on instagram duncan j Rhodes, um, or go to our website and uh yeah there's loads of stuff about that there all right great well to everyone out there uh have a great day and thanks for listening bye-bye